You're listening to the Screaming Pods Network. Your construction smells of corruption. I manipulates to recreate this air to go around saga. Got a launder. McDonald had a farm, E-I-E-I-O, oh shit, he stuck his hand up that guy's ass. On this, the fourth epic episode of the SOV podcast, we look at the spectacularly deranged rural American gore fest, splatter farm, and the broad horror comedy, How to Slay a Vampire, both from the Brothers Polonia, both legends of our favorite subgenre. I'm Mike D, he of the newly formed Screaming Pods Network, and joining me forever and always is my favorite boy in the Milky Way, Brad Fursona Henderson. How are you doing, baby cakes? I don't I'm taken back about how how happy you are when I'm around. I've never had that feeling before. <laughs> You're just elated with joy. It is, Brad. It is a beautiful Friday morning here in Wellsboro, Pennsylvania. It's 44 degrees, mostly sunny with no chance of rain. What a glorious day! How are you enjoying Wellsboro, Pumpkin? It's almost like um, that scene in Wayne's World when they have... uh... What is it? It's not the time machine, but they have a new feature where it takes them to different places, and they're like, hey, I'm in Texas, howdy, partner, let's go down to the Alamo. And then they get to that one where it's like, hey, we're in Delaware. Hi. I'm in Delaware. <laughs> That's kind of like what Wellsboro felt, feels like to me. There's not a whole lot going on around here. Well, Brad, we all know that Wellsboro, it's the birthplace of the Brothers Polonia, but did you also know dear listeners, that there is not an Arby's in Wellsboro. It's a crime. Beautiful Brad and I had to drive 13 miles this morning to Mansfield to get our herd on. It took 19 minutes, okay? And just because something hurts, such as Arby's in our tummy, it doesn't mean it doesn't feel good. Brad, plug our favorite sponsor, please. We love Arby's. Good roast beef sandwich would take you four hours to make at home. But nobody wants to spend four hours cooking a sandwich. Well, Arby's does. At Arby's, you get a great roast beef sandwich that we spent four hours cooking just for you. At Arby's, the four-hour sandwich is five minutes away. If Arby's original roast beef sandwich isn't always enough to fill your appetite, now Arby's has something that will. Introducing Arby's Super, the big four-hour sandwich that's five minutes away. We obviously love Arby's because they give us millions to do this show, so... 
Hey, eat at Arby's, horsey sauce, Arby's sauce, all day long in your mouth. All fucking day. And get them to toast the bread a little extra longer. Get them to mix the horsey sauce with the Arby's sauce. And uh, look, if you're kind of sweet on one of those uh, one of those Arby's workers, let them know. Slip them a five. Give them a wink, baby. You're good looking. They're going to love it. And they will put a little extra beef on your bun. Now, before... We jump into our Polonia double feature. We have a few quick asks. Please follow us on Twitter at T-H-E-S-O-V-P-O-D. Follow our new home network at Screaming Pods. My gorgeous co-host is on Twitter at Brad F. Henderson. And I am Mike D. Underscore splat. Now, here at T-H-E-S-O-V-P-O-D, the T-H-E stands for the, and we are the Shot on Video podcast, we we like to offer uh, snacking suggestions for our salivating mouth holes and yours. Brad, you are the king of wishful thinking, and what do you wish folks to pair with our first offering, 1987's Splatter Farm. You know, but Splatter Farm is not the best film to probably eat in. Um, but I will go ahead with a couple, a couple, a couple items here. So first, I would start just with the plain peanut butter and jelly, peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Not, um, not like some shitty peanut butter, but I would pick Jif. Because that's what I consider the best peanut butter. And creamy. If you like the nuts in it, you can do that. But creamy peanut butter and then Smucker's uh, jam. Do a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. But on the side, which is going to come in handy in a little bit later, is a nice cup of Jello chocolate pudding. I love it. Brad, let me ask a clarifying question here. Yes, sir. When you when you say the, when you say the Smuckers, now are we talking about Concord grape or are we talking, oh, we're about, talking about strawberry? Uh, strawberry. Baby. We're talking about strawberry. Baby. All right. it's delightful. And also, what I like to do is I like to cut those sandwiches in half because, to me, and I hope to others too, when you cut a sandwich in half, it's always better. It tastes better. I don't know what it is. I know it's all in my mind, but I don't mind that. I'm not going. I'm not a crazy person. It's just sandwiches taste better when they're cut in half. Fact. You're not crazy, Brad, and I'll tell you exactly what it is. It's the the pressure that you apply to the top of the bread as the knife comes down. Uh, and and I would recommend through a diagonal cut. Okay, the the pressure okay. of the diagonal knife with your your hand on top of it, because typically we use those uh, buttery kitchen knives, right? Mm, no. For example, in uh, I know this is a little not shot on video. Well, we already talked about Wayne's World, but I'm going to get into another film in Kill Bill. Kill Bill at the end of uh, Volume 2, and if you're watching it as the whole bloody affair, just at the end of the film, uh, when the bride, Beatrice, finds out that her child, Sophie, is still alive, Bill proceeds to fix Sophie's sandwich before bed. And he is using the biggest fucking knife on the planet to get some mayonnaise out of a jar and put it on that bread. And that's the way you're supposed to do it. The biggest knife you can find to make that cleanest cut, because that's what it's all about. I see. I don't like half-assed sandwich. I don't like when you you push down too hard and the bread shifts with your butter knife. I don't like that. I don't. I don't like where you cut and then it's like, oh man, I missed that one little spot. So then you tear it. No, 
that good clean cut through the crust, the bread, peanut butter and jelly, the meat, whatever you're cutting, from back to front, front to back, however you want to do it, that clean cut. That's what I'm talking about. Well, baby, I got to tell you, no, no, look, I, I know what you're talking about. A couple things here that you've brought up. One, motherfucking Kane from Kung Fu was using like some kind of Hattori Hanzi, like, uh, like mayonnaise knife or some shit. Who even knows? That, that's fiction, Brad. We live in the real world. And in the real world, we have a scientific principle called friction. Okay. And if you use chunky peanut butter with, you know, with the extra peanuts in there, the, the halves of the nuts. And I know you love nuts, Brad. I know you I love know the nut. Right. Brad, tell me, Brad, tell me you love the nut, baby. I'll just say it right now. I love the nuts. Say it again. I love the nuts. Great. Nuts. Nuts put a little extra friction in that sandwich. So you don't get, you don't get the shift. Now, but back to my original point, Brad. It is the pressure from your hand and the knife that is making the, the peanut butter and the jelly make love. Okay. It's doing some cuckold shit right there where they're just fucking getting together with you in the room, all right? And that is what you love is when, when those two two items come together. Now, for my recommendation for Splatter Farm, I have a recommendation of what not to eat, okay? Whatever you do, do not have a can of Campbell's or Progresso chunky soup. <laughs> no kind of chunky soup. We'll get to that a little bit later. I call that motherfucking shit cat food, but Brad... Tell us what is all going on in Splatter Farm, and let's dive right into it. What is going on in Splatter Farm? Well, we are starting off with um, the sophomore effort of um, the legendary Brothers Polonia. These, I'm going to say kids at the time, uh, they made their first film, uh, I don't know, probably mid-80s. It was called uh, Hallucinations, I believe. And I believe that's available through maybe SRS Cinema. That's where a lot of their films are available these days. So their second film was Splatterform. Uh, in their hearts, it was just a bunch of kids making movies on VHS. And um, like I said, this is their sophomore effort. It's it's a shot on video movie. When people think shot on video films, this is probably immediately what they think about. This odd uh, pacing, uh, bad audio, weird direction, um, ridiculous special effects. But let me for, let me start off by saying I'm not a huge fan of Splatterfunk. But... I appreciate and I can see the passion that the Polonia brothers had making this film together, which they, they both star in, by the way. Um, and they play they play brothers in the film, along with uh, one of their other buddies who plays one of the, uh, the killer in the film. Um, it's just a, it's a gore fest, a complete gore fest. I mean, we have what we call like, I guess, torture porn and, and some of these uh, like C-grade movies like August Underground and even the stuff that Unearthed Films is doing like the new American Guinea Pig and the old American or the old uh, Guinea Pig films from from Japan these just gore-based torture movies uh Polonia Brothers were some of the first to do it I think I mean now when I was thinking about it watching the film again I was like, man, I, this seems like a lot of people started kind of doing this later on. And I think the Polonia brothers might have been first to really get in, uh, no pun intended, really get in deep and um, and do this. Well, what are your thoughts, Mike? Every time I watch Splatter Farm, I've seen it uh, maybe maybe three times now. 
Uh, it, it was definitely, as Brad said, one of the first shot on video movies I saw after around Blood Cult and, uh, and Boarding House. But what I think every fucking time I watch Splatter Farm is the movie starts and I, I'm watching it for about uh, five to ten minutes. And I have this thought to myself where I go, oh, th- I totally forgot that they have the same actor playing both the brothers in this movie. And then it gets to the point where they get to the ants farm and I'm like, oh, yeah, no, that's right. These guys are fucking twins. And it's it's like this weird. Tell me if I'm totally wrong, but it's some kind of fucking Patty Duke shit that that I think for like the first 10 minutes where the Polonias and uh, and uh, I believe uh, who is it? Todd Smith. There's actually a third director on uh, on Splatter Farm. He's also the guy who plays uh, the the killer Jeremy, but the the way the brothers are framed for like the first ten minutes of the movie, it could like ostensibly be the same actor. Like it's just single shots, and uh, they're they're nice tight close ups. The brothers have the same fucking mustache, the same fucking eyeglasses, the same. Fu- I mean, they're goddamn twins, right? So every time I watch this, I think it's fucking Patty Duke shit, living Maddie shit. We're like, it's the same person playing the twins. Now, once I get over that, because I'm not a smart person, but once I get over that, it, it gets into really torture porn uh, territory, gets into a lot of yokily uh, inbred jokes and nonsense, and <laughs> it just goes down perversion road. Maybe it's an avenue, maybe it's a street, but it, it, it goes down there and it doesn't fucking stop until the very end. And uh, it makes me unsettled and I, I fucking love it every time. And I always forget some little twist or some li- or I make some new connection. And I, I think it's I think it's fun. And I think what Brad said about the heart being there as far as the filmmakers and like having a good time and uh, trying to keep the audience on their toes. I, I, I think it's all there. But I, I want to dive a little bit deeper, Brad, into Splatter Farm and some of the story beats. Uh, particularly at first now around the, the sexual perversions that are <laughs> on display for whatever reason. Cause I've, I've seen the movie, like I said, three times and I can't figure out why some of these sexual perversions exist besides the fact that the filmmakers are young. Uh, they, you know, to correct you, they're, they're 19 at the time. The Brothers Polonia, born in 1968. This film comes out in 1987. So yeah, they're, they're maybe even late 18. That makes a lot of sense. That makes a lot of sense. There's that immaturity level, I, I think, in, in that, in that way. It's also the passion of probably coming off of like Texas Chainsaw Massacre and some of the serial killers that were prominent. Around that time, that they wanted to really push push the limits, and uh, honestly, I think giving two young kids a you know a camera with just making the film themselves with you know no one attached or telling them what to do, I mean it was fair game, and that's what they did. They they definitely pushed the limits. But if they didn't if they didn't do it, I don't think they would have had because Splatter Farm was uh, a wide distribution for them. Um, this is the film that definitely put them on the map. This had a legit VHS release, you know, back back in the uh, you know mid mid eighties, later eighties. We have the story about two brothers, okay, that are visiting their aunt, and we learn on the journey to the aunt's house, which is very quick. Again, in the first ten minutes, where they're doing a lot of single shots, but uh, while they're on this journey, they're, they're, they they say some shit. 
that is kind of swept under the rug as far as uh, the screenwriting goes. The aunt may be uh, molesting uh, one of the brothers. Yep. Okay. And and yet they yet they, they continue brush to over go very quickly. Yeah, super super fucking quick. They're like, hey, remember when Aunt fucked you? And then the other brother's like, ha, no, let's not talk about when she fucked me because it happened. You know, so something like that. But they don't really get back to to the themes of like sexual molestation or perversion until like much later in the picture when they've when they've given you a couple other clues about uh, perhaps the the identity of Jeremy. Who's the uh, who's the young nubile uh, farmhand? That it's pretty disgusting. You know, he uh, he bashes in the heads of wayward wanderers and people hiking, hitting sticks he, with uh, he's uh, hammers. He, he's he's like a yeah. He, he's like a little Jeffrey Dahmer. Yeah, for sure. He's a he's a little Jeffrey Dahmer. Uh, and he's uh he's good looking like Ted Bundy though. I'll I'll give him that. You know, he's, <laughs> no, he's he definitely looks like Jeffrey Dahmer, he's definitely too. the looker of the three. Who do you think's hotter? Jeffrey Dahmer or Ted Bundy? Ted Bundy. That's a quick answer. But you don't think that you don't think that Jeremy is a Ted Bundy? No, I think he's a Dahmer. You think he's more of a Jeffrey Dahmer? I think he's a Dahmer all the way. So, um my question for you is that we have this opening, uh the bodies being mutilated and everything. Um and I've watched the film a few times. I saw the film when I was growing up. Um then again a few years ago and then recently for the for the show. Um I I still try to guess what he's doing with after he chops off the hand. Does he is he putting the hand because he severs the hand, so he's like got the wrist. He has the wrist out. Is he putting the hand like fingers in his pants and jerking himself off? Yeah, and it makes no sense because I've tried that shit and it doesn't work because oh. there's no grip. Yeah, you, you need that. You know, it's like uh, it's like Brad Knoll in a uh, uh, Sublime said. You need that GI Joe kung fu grip. You know, but it's also uh, it doesn't it it even goes further from there, which is which is insane. Which we were talking about the sexual perversion of the film, which again reminds me a lot of kind of uh, you know Dahmer's case of what he used to do, and even Ed Gein, you know, having sex with uh, with body parts. It's um, it can it really does push the limits, and I was even surprised being. Uh, I mean, when I say widely distributed, this wasn't like in every fucking video store, and people renting you know hundreds of copies, but it did make it to stores. It did make it to the shelf. I can't imagine like, you know, family outing. Let's rent a horror film. You pick up Splatter Farm, and <laughs> then you got people fucking skulls and. And licking wounds, and you know, trying to give themselves hand jobs with severed hands, that 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 could ruin a marriage. You know, there's all that shit. There's a there's a decapitation, and then like almost cunnilingus licking of like neck wounds. You know, uh, after the decapitation, there's an elderly person reaching into the pants of a deceased loved one to oh, to grab yeah. their genitals yeah. and getting. Getting a handful of dust and fucking dirt instead of nut, like there, there's a lot going on. Which is impressive that they got this. But uh, what is the old lady in relation to them? Do we know? No, she's definitely like uh, an NC seventeen Tim and Eric day player, uh, who who quite literally stars in Splatter Farm. I mean, there's only four primary leads in the movie there's a couple other characters that, that pop in here or there but there's really only four people in the movie uh two you know the brothers polonia of course uh dominate the picture 
but uh but the aunt and then the farmhand jeremy uh are are strong featured players and yeah i mean she's in the film quite a bit and um and she has a very interesting screen presence in that uh she she does that thing that uh that a lot of older folks do where they have they have the lisp you know maybe it's from the um maybe it's from the dentures or or from dental work over the years but she has she has this very homely uh lisp that that at once makes you feel like oh this is a, you know my old aunt who who takes care of me and gives me love but like when her her true personality comes out and she she starts she doesn't change the cadence of her voice at all but when she starts delivering messages that are much more subversive than uh can i make you a sandwich or pour you some fucking lemonade like it has it has a very evil uh feeling to it which i thought was uh which was well used in this homemade uh a film now i know we have uh you know one one thing that i despise on IMDb with um with shot on video films is the goofs. Just like of course you're going to have many goofs on a shot on video film, so stop. But one thing that I thought was absolutely hilarious, and it's a goof in the movie, but I find it so comical and innocent, is when she comes out and she gives the lemonade and it's clearly water and <laughs> you could just see through it. Unless unless you know it's some clear lemonade, but I don't think so. It's just a funny scene, and I I, I crack up. Um, and I, I don't know if you if you notice things like that in the film to begin with. I don't know. It kind of sets you in the mood. It doesn't prepare you for what you're about to see because what you're about to see is uh, some very like deviant and weird sexual wound fucking. Um, but I, I I like that aspect of it, in in um, and it just shows. I, I don't know. I, I I like those honest mistakes like that. It 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 puts me in the mood, and it's it's nothing to like say. Oh well, they fucked up. No 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 no. It's just just a little honest mistake. I mean, they're obviously not trying to you know do things like that. They're really filming a family home movie. I mean, there's hardly anybody in this movie aside from the filmmakers themselves. And their fucking Aunt Dolores or whatever. But um, I would really love to know the relationship and uh, seeing her watch watch these films if she did. Um, you know, anything for family or friends, I guess. Look, I, to your point, too, the, the IMDb goofs or whatever. If you want to see a lot of goofs in a movie... You watch a Martin Scorsese movie because that dude <laughs> knows what's up. He he doesn't he doesn't give a shit about continuity. He on set he says continuity schmontinuity. He doesn't care if a cup was over here, over there. If your if your wrist was covered with your uh your sleeve or your coat, like he doesn't give a fuck. You know Scorsese doesn't review dailies because he yeah he just says fuck it yeah yeah he has so many mistakes in his movies. I mean he sometimes it even change they change actors. And people just don't even really realize it. No, for sure. And what what I'm saying is, is when you're a young filmmaker, you're 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 told to worry about things like continuity. You're told to worry about things, uh, you know, that that don't affect the the performance or don't affect the narrative. And when when you learn to just kind of let go of that uh, and and focus on the actor, focus on the story, people 
because of what the actors are giving you and because of what the story is providing the audience, people don't notice shit like the lemonade being water or whatnot. And and to that point, what I want to say is that I don't think the lemonade's water. I think that old fucking bitch was giving him some moonshine or some Mountain yeah, Dew and yeah. just saying it was lemonade and fucking gas. Yeah, gaslighting him from the beginning with some moonshine road soda bullshit because we know later in the picture she she's drugging him and doing all kinds of like fucked up Manson family shit to to get what she needs. Uh, I'm glad you mentioned Scorsese though because. Um about continuity, because what a lot of people don't know, I mean, it's funny that you mentioned that, is that uh, Paul Rudd is uh, is in about 30% of uh, Gangs of New York. He replaces um, Daniel Day-Lewis, you know, B- Bill the Butcher. He plays Bill the Butcher for about at least 30 minutes of the movie, but no one notices that. Polonia Brothers, Polonia Brothers have less mistakes in their films than major motion pictures, where there's thousands and hundreds hundreds of thousands of people on set that, that's true and look brad we we've talked about it before but but brad and i have both uh done done films uh our ourselves and when you really learn <laughs> to just kind of let little things go <laughs> and you just stay focused when you just stay focused on the performance and like the big picture people don't notice shit like sideburns or uh, they notice that when they're bored. Or, or, they know, exactly, or when they've watched it five times. And if you have a motherfucker watching your movie one time, you're lucky. And if they're watching it five times, you're fucking blessed. And, like, who gives a shit if they find bad things on it the, the fifth time? But if but if you can enrapture them that first time, such as when you see, like, a very impassioned uh, project like Splatter Farm, then, then you're good. <laughs> you are good. But, Brad, I, I need to ask you this. At the end of the picture... When Jeremy is uh, sodomizing one of the brothers, Polonia, in 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 the barn, oh. and he uh, he shoves his hand somewhere mm. and then puts it all over his face and puts it all over Polonia's face. Is that shit? Did he did he fucking fist him in the ass and then rub shit all over their body? That is the scene in the movie, but I'm sure that's uh, that's also your cue. To pull out your chocolate pudding and eat it, which I mentioned earlier. So um, when that scene happens, that's going to be like kind of the beep, beep. You pull out the you know, that jello chocolate pudding and you start eating it. Because that's probably what they used. I'm guessing. Oh, it's, it's definitely what they used. I mean, you could... Uh, a great uh, A great drinking game, or nay, say, a great eating game would be to eat the food product that you see being used as gore in Splatter Farm. <laughs> so, yeah... T- to Brad's point, there's the chocolate pudding, but also uh, the decapitated head in the woods. Uh, we definitely get some ketchup there. Like you could see that it's ketchup. It's a nice. Oh yeah, whenever the thick, whenever the viscous uh, the when he's like he he falls down because he ran into him in the woods, and then he's got like the bag with the uh, the guts and stuff, and it's it's the bag's got a rip and it's falling on his hand. It's funny because that's it's a hundred percent ketchup, and uh, I just I love it, and that's what makes Splatter Farm so fun is is little things like that. Brad and I, uh, we you know before the the show, we were out in the parking lot. I was enjoying a cigarette. Brad was having a, a naked juice because he's he's all about 
his body being a temple. But I was smoking a cigarette and, and we both conferred that when we watched the movie, because we watched it independently, uh, we both watched the, the Camp Pictures DVD release. Now, Brad, do you know anything that's because di- I never saw the original VHS tape, which is a, a slightly different edit of the movie. Uh, do, do, do we know much about the, the two different versions side by side? No, I, I think that the VHS is still a rare tape. I mean, at the time during its release, you know, you found it in stores, but um, many, many films were like that. You know, the, the companies produced, uh, you know, thousands of tapes, but quickly when the, when the DVD thing came through and a lot of them just got one copy, so either they were broken or, you know, um, or stolen, uh, a lot, a lot of cases, films were thrown out. So, uh, Splatter Farm was always known as kind of a, uh, like a holy grail for some collectors on VHS. So I, I don't know. I know this Camp Motion Pictures company, uh, gives it in all its glory, but, um, Brad, actually what I heard is there's more gore in the original VHS cut. The Polonia brothers were, were never okay with what was originally released on VHS, they called it a rough cut. Uh, it was it was kind of rushed out to market, and they worked with Camp Pictures for what was released as uh, what what do they call it the uh, the cult classic edition yeah. <laughs> of Splatter Farm. Like on screen, it says uh, Splatter Farm, and then it says cult classic edition. I look what you know watching it over the years. I can only think that. Maybe there was more music elements added. Uh, it was re-edited in some way to have the narrative make more sense. Typically in SOV movies, uh, we we have um, we have a bit like tangential uh, filmmaking or tangential editing, uh, and maybe the Polonia brothers used uh, some of their more formalized knowledge that they acquired over the years to to tighten it up, but. Um, but yeah, I have not seen the original VHS cut, and I know that there's some some folks online that follow the show uh, that have seen it. So please educate uh, Brad Henderson and myself as to what these specific uh, differences are. Um, we would we would love to to see them side by side. And if you have a transfer of the original VHS, you know, shoot it over some way. DM bruh. All right, Brad, any final thoughts on Splatter Farm before we shift gears to a, a, a significantly more epic movie? No, I, I, I think I think it's a good uh, starting point for people that want to jump into Polonia Brothers and SOV. I think I think they would enjoy it. It's uh, like I said, it's a nice little time capsule. These two brothers that made films together for a long time up until uh, one of them uh, passed. So far on the show, I would say that we've covered three movies that would be great jumping in points for SOV. And I'm, I'm going to call those movies Blood Cult, Sledgehammer, and Splatter Farm. Of those three, and you don't need to favor the one, of course, that we, uh, we featured today. But of those three, which, which one would you still kind of be like, that might be the jumping in point? Sledgehammer. Yeah, I agree with you 100%. Uh, and then still the best SOV movie of all time is Blonde Death, and we already jumped the shark on that shit. Uh, yeah. but I don't think we're, maybe we'll cover I mean, it 19. We, we may find because we're going to be covering films that we've uh, seen for the first time. Oh my God. I'm so excited. So. Brad, 
We're going to see movies for the first time on this fucking show? Yeah, yeah. I, we got some films lined up um, that I haven't seen that, that I know are shot on video. So, um, yeah, I'll be excited to jump into those to see, like, what... Because, I mean, some of this is definitely, like, uh, nostalgia. Um, nostalgia love. Uh, love for SOV. Um, but seeing new shot on video films sometimes can be a little bit different, you know? Because you've seen a lot already. Uh, what is this film going to do differently? And if it doesn't, what is unique about it that could, uh, I don't know, kind of grab you? So we'll see. Because I just, um, uh, I haven't seen How to Slay a Vampire in quite some time. Because I had a friend that gave me a VHS copy. And that's um, uh, just a, uh, a, a bootleg. I don't know if this film ever have an official VHS release. Do we know? You know, I I, I saw a couple different dates. I, I've uh, I've seen that it was released on video in 1995. The the digital release that that I've always had through um, what did they call it? It was uh, you remember Brentwood? Uh, it was it, it was like a small uh, DVD label from the mid aughts where they would do like public domain movies. They'd release them four at a time. They used to do like pieces or the black six or like crippled masters, but they put how to slay a vampire in one, I think called a blood pack hmm. that, that I bought at Best Buy when I worked there for like $5 or some shit. But that one is the one that I have. And it says 1996. Okay. So online I see 95 copyright, uh, the disc I have at home says 96. I, I don't know. If you saw it on VHS, I'm, I'm, I'm sure that it had some kind of official release. Well, no, uh, it was within just, the, it was a bootleg. The time was period of that ta- format. Ta- it was tape trading. So. Well, let's jump into it because we've already started to tease the tip. But before we do, Brad, look, I've already, I've already worked off my peanut butter sandwich. That's a, that's a high protein meal, high sugar. I've already worked it off because uh, I've been scared to death (laughs) from all the perverted sex in Splatter Farm. And I'm about to enjoy some very comedic perversions in How to Slay a Vampire. What do you recommend I eat to to build back up my caloric intake? (laughs) Um, I would would choose probably... um, it just depends on where you are for brands, but I would pick up uh, mozzarella sticks, frozen mozzarella sticks, because you don't want to you don't want to grab them from a restaurant because they're going to be soggy by the time you get home. But uh, just some good old frozen mozzarella sticks. Cook, cook them. I, I would take your time and and cook cook them cook them well, because uh, f- cheese. In a mozzarella stick needs to be perfect in order in order to eat it, and that was something that I ate when I was younger, staying up late watching movies and stuff like that. Um, and I would do this weird mix of of mayonnaise and ketchup on mozzarella sticks. I don't do it anymore because it's gross. But at that time when I was younger, I would mix mayonnaise. Well, actually, it was Miracle Whip, Mir- Miracle Whip and and ketchup, and I would use that as some dip dip. And, um, oh God, I can't even think about eating it now, but take out, take out the dip dip, the miracle whip and ketchup and just do some mozzarella sticks. 
I think I think that's a good I think that's a good dish. What the fuck is the miracle of Miracle Whip that people even think it's an acceptable substitute for uh, Best Foods mayonnaise, Hellman's East of the Rockies? Like, what the fuck is the miracle? I have no idea. My mom used to buy it all the time, and I just ate it. And now, when I smell it or see it, I get really like I get nauseated when I see when I see the the Miracle Whip. Of course, you're talking about breaded mozzarella sticks and not uh, some fucking string cheese, right? Because if you're cooking string cheese in the plastic packet, it's basically like you're cooking crack. You're going to melt the plastic into the cheese. It's going to get you fucking high. And you'll have a completely different how to slay a vampire experience. You need the bread to hold the cheese inside. And are we baking it? Are we frying it? What are we doing, baby cake? You are are baking that shit, Mike. You're baking it, baby. Uh, <laughs> you are right. We are baking for the Polonia Brothers' How to Slay a Vampire. Look, the only thing I could fucking recommend, again, is what not to eat. And I recommend that you do not eat a bloody tampon while you watch How to Slay a Vampire. Now, that's not because bloody tampons aren't good. They're great. I think that the, the female menstruation cycle is, is, is beautiful and bleeding is wonderful. But uh, I would not eat a bloody tampon during How to Slay a Vampire because you're going to get cock blocked, so to speak, because someone already eats one in the movie. Now, Brad, tell us about how to sl- wait. Don't tell us how to slay a vampire. Tell us about the film entitled How to Slay a Vampire. Before we get into that, since we're talking about food, um, I think we need to take a quick commercial break from our sponsor. Look around. The world's different now. People are overworked. Overcommitted. Tired. But the moon is still the moon. Still round. Still filled with marshmallows. Still covered in really good flavors. Maybe instead of fussing, getting all bent out of shape, we should all just get together and have a moon pie. A little moon pie can change the world. Thank you, moon pies. You are delicious. Not too marshmallowy, not too banana-y, not too moon pie-y, but just fucking delish. We are talking right now about the Polonia Brothers' 1995, maybe 1996 film, How to Slay a Vampire. Brad Fursona Henderson, what is this movie about? We have another Polonia Brothers film that we're talking about, of course, where they both star in it, and uh, they take a different direction with this one. They make a self-aware meta um, shot on video film. That uh, very much uh, emulates, I would say, Return of the Killer Tomatoes. It has that type of feel in comedy. I believe they were very inspired by that because it kind of does some of the same jokes. It is about two brothers that have a vampire in their house and is their yeah their their basement, and um, they read upon <laughs> how to how to slay a vampire. And, um, but it's, it's done in such a fun and innocent way. And it's, and it's hard to believe that this, these two films came from the same people because they're so different. And that's one thing I, another thing I respect 
about the Polonia brothers is that um, they really tried going out and even in the midst of not making a lot of money, they, they did it for the passion. Um, they're like a more sane David the Rock Nelson. Um, if, if, you're, if you're not sure who David the Rock Nelson is, do a little research. Uh, we'll probably be talking about some of his films um, if we... Uh, well, we will be. Um, it's just his films are really hard to find because I don't think... I think only one has actually ever had distribution, but the dude has made like a hundred films that are shot on video. Uh, only he can see uh, each one's like four to six hours. So uh, David the Rock Nelson is a little bit on the loony side. Well, Plenty Brothers is a little more sane, and they tighten it up. Wait, to an hour Brad, and a half. stop! What? Stop, Brad! Brad, pump, pump brakes, baby, pump brakes. How many David Rock Nelson movies have you been in? I've been in one. All right, keep going about Polonia <laughs> Brothers. Accidentally, and I've never seen it, um, and I don't know if anybody has. So, yes, I'm in a David the Rock Nelson movie. I think um, that's what he told me I was going to be in it. I'm in one of the Devil Ant movies. It's they're just a little bit more more sane, uh, David the Rock. Now they're they're obviously having fun. And one thing I can really give them because I really enjoy How to Slay a Vampire because it is truly funny. Um, it's, it's watching, it's why, like, I, I love the fact that these, these brothers grew up together making movies, because I know how fun it would be to just sit back as brothers, and, 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 you know, I'm sure they did it a few times before, um, uh, John's death, but, um, you're just sitting back and watching them and do this. And they do a comedy routine. They do little bits. Um, they break the, you know, they break the fourth wall. They do so many different things in the film to make it so different from unlike a lot of films that are being made around that time. And also shot on video films. I've, I've never seen a shot on video film go this route as far as comedy before. Cause we don't really have many comedies that are shot on video to begin with. Um, and this one's not really horror at all. They just use the vampire and uh, just a lot of weird shit that they do in, in directions they go. Um, was this your first time seeing it? Uh, or did you watch that DVD that you purchased back in the day before? Oh, no, I, I watched the DVD that I purchased back in the day uh, before. And I want to I want to comment really quick on, on the time that they made this. Because something I was more aware of uh, on this recent rewatch is what was happening in American independent film at, at the time they were in mid-90s. American independent film is, of course, dominated uh, by the conversation around like Quentin Tarantino, Kevin Smith. And we're, we're going away from this direct market uh, VHS narrative and more towards, you know... Thirteen thousand dollars on a uh, sixteen millimeter reversal, uh, <laughs> you know, to to make your your first feature, uh, and the the way screenplays were were being um, touted at the time with much more like postmodern, uh, like a deconstruction, like the the deconstruction uh, 
screenplay that was coming out where you have a bunch of cultural references and it's it you're you're breaking the fourth wall and you're leaning into your uh limitations there there's a lot of interesting things that were happening in American independent cinema that the Polonia brothers were directly responding to whether it was uh on purpose or just subconsciously, so to speak, uh, with How to Slay a Vampire. I mean, even, even a, you know, something, Brad, I was thinking about was, uh, you know, when we have the silhouettes pop up during How to Slay a Vampire with, with the, the, the silhouette of the angry audience member that's telling the Polonia brothers, I want to see more titties or I came here for the pussy, you know, and, and how I was watching it today and I'm like, oh, that's right. Fucking mystery science theater has already been on the air for for five or six seasons. Like like this is something that uh, the filmmakers are a hundred percent aware of uh, while they're constructing jokes and scenes with within a movie that that only cost hundreds of dollars to make and uh, and they're they're poisoning it against these these other titans of independent cinema at the time. And I I, I don't know. I I thought it was. Uh, I thought it was really interesting to have this uh, uh, different perspective because because when I watched it fucking 10, 15 years ago, it was just a, a silly uh, Abrams Zucker ripoff, you know, to me that was shot on video. But but now I'm like, oh, there there's actually a lot going on here. Yeah, I, I think I think that's uh, some of my favorite moments in the film is when um the audience member pops up and then they do that weird uh sexy scene of uh you know just in in the bathtub showing a woman's legs um they also have uh that scene that's very much like in return of the killer tomatoes is um when they just turn to the so-called director and they're like hey can we do this do we have enough money for that and they do it often and there's just so many funny things that are happening during those scenes. And one thing that always stood out and I, I is my favorite type of comedy is when comedy is not really explained or it's not, they don't really focus on it. During those conversations with the director, there's like a guy in the background, like in a black hat, just humping the wall. And it serves no purpose. Yeah, there's a guy in a cowboy hat jerking off or fucking a plant or something. Yeah. And he, he's got his back turned to, uh, an elderly director. And the elderly director is sitting next to, uh, who we believe to be the script supervisor, who's maybe an eight year old child. And which I love because they're making fun of themselves at the same time. And, oh, for sure. And, and there's just so much joy out of that. We're not talking about some big name director cracking jokes no we're talking about guys that knew um that not a lot of people were going to see this movie and they were making movies solely for themselves and for their close fans and friends and family and just something to reflect back on when they're older and i think i think that's sweet and i think that's um what makes the polonia brothers stand out and they have they are kind of the kings of shot on video do-it-yourself films um because there were no, there was no cast and crew. It was just them, pretty much, with the camera on themselves, setting up their own shots. If they're not in front of the camera, they're obviously operating it and there, and behind it and doing everything else and doing special effects. These kids were kings, and they were kings in their own mind. And they, and 
in uh, I really think they were uh, not even just in their own mind. I, th- I really think they they dominated. They they created something. And um, like I said, even though we're covering every shot on video film on the show, um, we're also covering these first. And the Polonia brothers have always kind of stuck out. And, you know, they've been making these films, uh, you know, even after uh, the one brother, John, passed away. uh, Mark's still making films like this. They're just, you know, on little DV cameras in HD now. Absolutely. And I want to use um, the unfortunate passing of of John to illustrate just how (laughs) how prolific these brothers are, because uh, Mark is only 49 years old today. And I mean, he's been he's been making these movies since the mid 80s. Okay. And he's only 49 years old today. Uh, when John passed, he was only 39 years old. And that was, that was 10 years ago, uh, at, at this point. And these brothers in this short amount of time made like 40 fucking features together. And, and to Brad's point, yeah, a lot of it was, uh, shot on video. A lot of it was for their own, uh, in- enjoyment and their own passion. But shortly after How to Slay a Vampire, they make a movie called Feeders, which becomes one of the top independent rentals through Blockbuster, who was, of course, the number one uh, video rental retailer at the time. It becomes the number one fucking rental independently uh, that year. I, I believe it was 96, 97. And it, I mean, of course it was because it was like a, it was almost like a sci-fi ripoff of Independence Day, at least. Yeah. And I, <laughs> that's I, how it was I remember sold. that one sitting on the shelf when I was young, uh, at, at my Blockbuster when I wasn't in Ohio renting from video time or anything. This was at my local Blockbuster in the whitest Blockbuster you could find in the whitest town ever. And it was uh, it was great, and I did rent it. And they made they made a sequel to that too, didn't they? They did. It was called Feeders Two. So <laughs> how how to slay a vampire uh, is it's a it, it's obviously a comedy. I mean, we start off with brothers kicking their mom in the nuts, finding a finding a vampire rolled up in a Persian rug uh, from a flea market. And from the get-go, we we have the brothers pulling gags literally out of the vampire's body. I made a joke earlier about a bloody tampon. That That is something that they literally find in t- inside the vampire's mouth. Uh, then we go into... It's about 15 minutes, Brad, of of the boys... I say boys, they're... They're kind of grown-ass men, but these grown-ass men, uh, trying to kill a vampire, you know, they try to, they try to stake him in the heart. They try to cut his head off. They try to hang him. And it's like 20 minutes of this shit. It's very broad. Like the, the, the comedy. It's, it's very like wide-eyed, like, why, why don't we try this next? You know? And then, <laughs> and, and I want to say, and then the movie gets immature. And I, I think that, if if you're a more progressive-minded person, not not all this comedy is going to be for you because it's very like even though the film's only maybe like 23 years old, 20 years old, uh, a lot of the comedy is like super fucking dated. 
Like there's a lot of reliance on uh, a lot of reliance on gay jokes. There's an overgeneralization. It's like a homophobic overgeneralization about um, people that are gay, <laughs> particularly like gay males uh, wanting to be uh, femme or, or female. They they start doing the limp wristed uh, bullshit with with the character, and I, I I don't know some of that some of that comedy just didn't age well for me. Like I I guess I would have thought it was funny when I was like in seventh grade. But um, but looking at it now, it was a little much. They start off really strong in the movie with uh, with some of the notes that they do, some of the notes that they hit. But I do feel that the film stay uh, overstays it well, overstays its welcome just a little bit. And yeah, I think some of the jokes just just don't hit um, like they probably did at that time. Like I like how they kind of didn't change, but at the same time. They kind of needed to do something a little bit different, but um, I, I do think the film runs a little bit longer. But I do think it's one of their better films. Um, and and one thing that I I do I do love about it that we haven't really hit on yet is that in the film uh, they are their own fans, uh, very kind of Rudy Ray Moorish, where it's just like we are hilarious so we're going to do these jokes over and over and over and over again and even the part where they're doing stand-up in in the fisheye lens almost telling joke after joke uh you know i I just i find charming uh but at the same time it's like okay guys let's let's cut it short for a second but I mean, like I said, they, they're making the movies that they want to see for them, and and that's and that's the beauty of it. They're looking directly into the lens. It's it. it what's funny is going back to my uh, my point earlier about uh, having to respond to early '90s independent film culture. Like, like it was. It, it's almost the Reservoir Dog scene where they're looking in the trunk, but they're looking into this fisheye lens and they're they're delivering what what they believe to be the worst jokes because they've they've tried everything to kill this vampire, right? They've tried the steak, they've tried cutting the head off. I, I you know I listed some ways, uh, but they haven't tried bad jokes. But Brad, these jokes are like sexist ableist racist <laughs> like literally they they look at the vampire and and they say uh hey what did the black kid get for my uh 10th birthday my bike you know like they're, they're just making like fucking terrible jokes but then they look back at the camera as brad said because they're their own fans like rudy ray moore i love that fucking line i use it all the time i heard it on screamcast about a year ago and it it, it clicked rudy ray moore is his biggest fan yep. brad you're 100 percent correct but uh but they they look at the camera and they go these are the worst jokes that we know but i but as the viewer i also kind of feel like they think the jokes are yeah. funny and then there's a weird intermission where we watch a a pretty racist uh cartoon. Ooh, yeah, yeah. And they make they make comments that the cartoon's racist, but I think they're doing it <laughs> in a way that's like they want to appease the progressive audiences of 1990 and like they're kind of making fun of that. 
Uh, anyway, all this is to say that I hear all the time about what like great people Mark and John Polonia are, and I'm like, I, I have no doubt. But there's a lot of shit that they joke about that that I think like they need to deal <laughs> with, or like the audiences need to deal with. Mark is looking directly at the camera and it's almost like a Mookie, like do the right thing thing where he's saying like, this is to all the motherfuckers that did it. Right. And he's, he's talking shit about all the girls that like never fucked him and like how he's about to go slay this vampire. And like, that's going to be the thing that gets him tail or pussy. And then his brother like shows up into the frame and is like, man, that's fucked up. Like, they really said all those things about you, like being his his ally. It's it's fucking weird, like this day and age. But I don't know. Again, it, it would have played differently to. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think some of this stuff ages well. But I mean, that's you know, sometimes you make films of that time, and I mean, we even see films now that um, that we liked when we were younger, and we watch, and the jokes don't fit anymore. But um, I think that's all part of just it living in the now and what they thought was funny at that time and what they thought was good, what they thought was going to sell. Like, I'm a, <laughs> I'm a big fan of any number of shows from the 1960s where, you know, we have fucking Burgess Meredith or, or some white bread dude like playing a, a Native American, uh, you know, in, <laughs> in makeup and, and costume. But I, I just want to put out a fair warning when Brad and I say this is a comedy and, and, and we say that we find it funny that not everything in the movie is going to be the type of comedy or the type of funny that, that we might have come to expect uh, today. And it's, it's certainly not as uh, progressive or as, as woke as like a lot of our, uh, our views are now being, you know, middle-aged uh, people ourselves. I, I think the film still has a lot going for it. As as far yeah, I mean the jokes aren't that funny any anymore. Um, but like I said, it's it's more or less watching the shot on video film of the Polonia brothers than than taking anything they say seriously. There is something so fucking funny to me about watching people <laughs> that think they're funny that are like legitimately funny people be funny. Like the best example of that is like. To me, like a Pauly Shore, like Pauly Shore is someone who thinks he's fucking hilarious. And you know what? He's actually kind of funny, but it's even funnier to watch him think that he's fucking funny. Were you just talking shit about Pauly Shore? I, I, no, I'm not talking shit about Pauly Shore. I said I think he's funny. Look, it's the same as your Rudy Ray Moore. I just don't want to fucking play the, the hits, you know? I think you just like talking shit about Pauly Shore. This is your, this is, you created the show. In order to talk shit about Polly Shore. Yeah, I'm still thinking that you're talking shit about Polly Shore. I don't appreciate it. No, no. Did you ever watch the um, evening with Kevin Smith or whatever it was? He 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 made a good point one time. He said, "Why did everybody just shit on Polly Shore all of a sudden? Because it was like, you know, the movies came out. Everybody was like, "Hey, buddy," and then like a year later, everybody's like, "Man, fuck Polly Shore." It's like, what did Pauly Shore ever do? He was just always that character all the time, true. But that character was a lot of fun. I I, I think that a lot of Pauly Shore movies are great, aside from Biodome, which everybody likes Biodome, and that's the one that I can't stand. But um, I just think he's a funny he's a funny dude. I like um, I like uh, Son-in-Law and Encino Man the best. Sexy kinda.
I love I love <laughs> sexy kinda. And you know you know who's not sexy kinda? He's sexy always. That is my beautiful co-host, Mr. Brad Fursona Henderson. I don't know what his fursona would be. Maybe it would be like a like an Aquaman, like a shape of the water uh type bullshit. I don't know what your fursona would be, but uh you are someone that I do not find sexy, kinda. I find you sexy always. Brad, do you have any final thoughts on the Polonia Brothers' How to Slay no, a Vampire? Um, but I think it would... Uh, I, I'm excited to see what people think. If you haven't seen like a shot on video comedy before, I'm kind of excited to hear what people people think of it. That's for sure. Yeah, I, I tweeted out a link at... T-H-E-S-O-V-P-O-D. The T-H-E stands for the, and we are the Shot on Video Podcast. I tweeted out a link uh, to the DVD I mentioned a little bit earlier in the show for, I believe it's called Blood Pack by by Brentwood. You can get it for $8. Um, Amazon has a handful left. Or, or... Look, because we are on a rogue network. We're we're not owned corporate. Fucking Chris Hardwick isn't our boss. We can't get fucking sued. Uh, or you could go on YouTube and watch How to Slay a Vampire by typing those very words into YouTube and scrolling down maybe four or five selections and then pressing play. So you could you could find it that way. Uh, Splatter Farm is available through, like we said, Camp Pictures. You could easily buy that online through any number of retailers i did not check to see if our favorite grindhouse video has it in stock um, amazon has it to rent too oh amazon has yeah. it to rent uh digitally wow we are living in the future who fucking knew that 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 penny's book from inspector gadget would one day be all of our fucking cell phones and our dogs wouldn't even need to learn how to arf in a way that uh that we could communicate with in one week we are watching spine and we are watching scary tales so i believe is that uh, February second? Some, something like that, yes, sir. Yeah, February second. We're gonna watch Spine in Scary Tales. Uh, Spine you could easily find online. Scary Tales, please get through mondotees.com. Follow their video links. You could get it for fifteen dollars on DVD, and then on February, what would it be? February ninth. February ninth. We are watching. What two movies? Dream Stalker and Death by Love, son. Ooh, very good. And that is available on a double feature from Intervision, which you can buy from our friends at Grindhouse Video, or you could find it on Amazon, or you could get it directly through Intervision or Severin, or I don't fucking know. Give someone a hand job. Tell them what you want. Tell them it's on your Amazon gift, gift list. Have them get you a Visa gift card. I don't give a fuck. Just watch the goddamn movies that we are talking about. We swear to God, you will love them as much as we love them. Brad, what else do we have to plug? What do you have coming up, Baby Cakes? Uh, well, Screencast will be out. Uh, we'll be recording a new episode soon. I'm excited about that. Um, I haven't talked about it on this show, but that's uh, how I got to know you, is I was a, a fan of 
Screamcast, and Screamcast just keeps getting better and better. Of course, now, in addition to Sean and Brad, we have BJ Colangelo and the wonderful Stephanie Crawford. You can follow both of them on Twitter. I have my own show called The Splat House Podcast. I say it's my show, but it's not really. I do things for a woman called uh, Sarah Quakendall. Uh, she's wonderful. She's my best friend in the whole world that is not penist or Brad. And, uh, and we do, uh, uh, you know, a film based podcast as well. Also on screaming pods. We have all kinds of, uh, friends and fans. We have Brian Sauer, who we made fun of off air. So Brian, <laughs> you don't get this reference at all, but he has, uh, just he has just the discs pod on screaming podcast oh he's so fucking busy he's too busy to listen to this show he doesn't even know i made fun of him off the air but i love that fucking guy and he did he's done a lot of cool shit for both screamcast and splat house and it's it's great to still have him in the family and of course he's far more prolific than us with um uh pure cinema podcast man there's a lot of great shows follow us all online uh, you won't be sorry. Your mom won't be sorry. Nobody will be sorry. Well, you'll be sorry if you don't fucking do True. it. Uh, and if and, and if you aren't already doing it, then you're you're a sorry fucking ass bastard anyway. And I'm look. I'm sorry I called you names. I just I just want to hug Brad. Let's get out of here. We're in <laughs> we're we're in two different booths right now, and I have been disconnected from the most beautiful man in the Milky Way. Brad and I need to get out of these booths and back to Arby's. It's a 19 minute drive. <sighs> so, Brad, final thoughts, final words. Go. I, I have to get out of here, buddy. Um, I, I need to see you. Just watch movies. Watch shot on video movies. Thanks for listening to the show. Have a wonderful, beautiful Friday. So for Brad, for Sona Henderson, for our captain, daddy, call me fucking daddy, Sean DeRegger of the Screaming Pods Network, for all of our our, our friends, uh, I'm talking BJ, Stephanie, Sarah, Brian, every fucking buddy, Joanna over at Bloody Popcorn. We didn't even fucking mention her. For everybody here at Screaming Pods, but especially the two bearded motherfuckers in the room for T-H-E-S-O-V-P-O-D. The T-H-E stands for the... This is Mike D saying... Look, if if you shove your hand up somebody's ass, you're not going to get fucking real chocolate pudding. I said
Bye.